Well, I'm in over my head, no one told me. Trying to keep my footprint small was harder than I thought it could be. I'm in over my head, what do I really need? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Welcome to In Over My Head. I'm Michael Bartz. My guest today is Dr. Alex Milovanov. Dr. Milovanov is a postdoctoral researcher in the School of Environmental Engineering at the University of Toronto. His research aims to support the development of sustainable energy through systems-level approaches to address complex environmental questions. His work has been featured in Scientific American, The Daily Mail, The Globe and Mail, and The Washington Post. Alex is also a science communicator and has been featured on BNM Bloomberg, CBC Radio, Global News Radio, and more. Well, welcome to In Over My Head, Dr. Milovanov. Thank you, Michael. So I'm bringing you on today to talk about electric vehicles, because the idea of someone buying an electric car seems like a no-brainer if they want to reduce their environmental impact. But I have a hunch that there might be more to it than that. I don't think it's as simple as some people might have been led to believe. So in your work, you talk about life cycle assessment for determining how effective electric vehicles can be for climate mitigation. Considering all the factors compared to a combustion engine car, what is the environmental footprint of an electric car? That's a very good and important question, Michael. And you're right. There's way more to it than, than what we, we may think. Uh, very often, we refer to electric cars as zero-emission vehicles. And uh, I really dislike this term because there are no zero-emission vehicles. From producing the minerals, uh, refining them, manufacturing the vehicles, assembling, to using and, and producing the energy fuel uh, up to the end of life, you have some environmental damages along the way. And that's what we refer to life cycle assessment. It's pretty much the process of looking at all those different stages for different technologies and then to trying to understand what are the environmental impacts of different technologies or behaviors or actions or policies. So regarding electric vehicles, very often we tend to find that they usually shift the sources of the environmental impact upstream. So the vehicle operation, um, which is usually the core issue for conventional vehicles, the fact that we burn gasoline or diesel and that emits directly greenhouse gas emissions or other types of air pollutant emissions. This is not an issue for electric vehicles because they have no tailpipe emissions. There are literally no emissions that goes out of the vehicle when it's being driven. But um, electric vehicles require some new components, such as large batteries that are very energy intense to produce. And... Force electric vehicles rely on an energy vector, which is called electricity, and which is also not free emission-free and environmental burden-free. So that's why usually we say that they ship the emissions upstream to places that we don't really see, but the emissions are here. Okay, and so we can talk a bit more about that. You talked about the energy sources, so electrification. So, for example, many people make the argument that, great, you're driving an electric car, but you're plugging into the grid, and that electricity is coming from coal, which, and I'm here in Alberta, and 90% of our power is currently coming from coal. So then, is an EV no better than a combustion engine vehicle in that case? Yeah, I think that's a great example where, indeed, in Alberta, driving an electric vehicle is no better than driving a conventional vehicle. It is a, it is a very complex picture. So first of all, I think the key question we want to ask is, what is the environmental you know, perspective and standpoint we want to look at, right? So... From a climate change perspective, I've actually done some assessment in, in, in Alberta, and we tend to have very similar 
there are climate change impacts from a conventional vehicle and from an electric vehicle. So electric vehicles are actually not really worse. They're just pretty much the same. But there, is, there, there are two very important things that we need to mention. First of all, uh, every single province in Canada um, are planning to decarbonize the electricity system. And Alberta is part of this. And Alberta is going to decarbonize, has some plans and finances and investments to deploy more renewable energy sources and reduce the dependence on fossil fuels. It is very, very likely that in about five to six, maybe 10 years, uh, Alberta will have a decarbonized, at least partially decarbonized electricity grid, and that will make electric vehicles way better. So that's why I think there is currently electric vehicles are maybe not cleaner everywhere in the world, but the potential they have for being cleaner is huge. And overall, there is actually very few places in now in the most economically developed countries where uh, electricity derives from coal. I mean, coal has had so many environmental health uh, problems. For example, at the COP26 at Glasgow, so many people have decided and have sort of committed to phase out coal. It's not, of course, as easy as that. It's going to take a couple of decades. But the point is that electric vehicles tend to be cleaner from a, a use-based perspective. From a pollution perspective, it is sometimes easier to deal with centralized pollution systems than decentralized pollution sources. So, for example, if you have a coal power plant that emits all those chemicals, I mean, pollutants and, and greenhouse gas emissions, it is actually easier to clean the flue gases and the exhaust gases of these power plants than to clean the exhaust emissions from the vehicles. And so even if we assume that coal is being used to produce electricity, there is actually a potential to uh, capture CO2 from coal or to clean the um, air pollutant emissions. So overall, I really think if from this perspective of using the vehicle, electric vehicles have lower environmental impacts and have a potential to have close to zero uh, environmental impacts. Well, it's really interesting that that sounds hopeful. So within the next decade or two, we could have a, a lot more cleaner sources of electricity, which would make electric cars better. Everyone always talks about batteries. What's the environmental footprint of a battery for electric cars? So the environmental footprint of a battery is highly dependent on how we produce it and highly dependent on what happens through this entire life cycle. To produce a battery, we need critical materials. So we need in electric vehicles, the batteries, chemistry are the lithium-ion batteries, and they rely on lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt. Those different elements need to be mined, need to be refined, need to be transported, and need to be manufactured together. And this manufacturing process is very energy-intense. So producing the battery is also a very energy-intense process, which requires heat, electricity. And so the environment footprint could be quite large if you know, the electricity derived once again from fossil fuel-based energy. I mean, usually mining the different metals have huge environmental impacts. So I think the same question here, what is the environmental perspective we're taking it? From a greenhouse gas emission perspective, producing a battery for an electric car such as the Tesla Model 3 emits about six tons of CO2 equivalent when you include mining all the metals and assembling them and using all the energy to manufacture the cells, etc. If you compare this with producing a conventional vehicle, including the motor, et cetera, um, this is even higher because producing a conventional vehicle is about four to five ton of CO2 equivalent. And of course, you need to produce the body of the vehicle itself. So as a sort of a quick estimate 
uh, we can pretty much estimate that producing an electric vehicle emits two times the amount of greenhouse gas emission than producing a conventional car. But overall, what, what is really important is that the use phase is usually lower emissions, and, and, and the use phase is really the critical stage of the life cycle of, of, a, of a vehicle. So that's why it takes a couple of years for an electric vehicle to sort of upset uh, and to sort of catch up their initial embodied emissions. But usually, for example, if you're talking about Canada, when you have very clean sources, in just about one or two years, the electric vehicle will tend to have lower GG emissions than a conventional vehicle. And in places where the electricity is slightly decarbonized, it can take maybe you know four to five years. But usually, it's, it's within the vehicle lifetime. But I, I mentioned before, this is for, only for a climate change perspective, because I think the real issue here is that producing and data to batteries also imply all the types of environmental problems that we need to, to be aware of. For example, there is a huge water consumption associated with mining the different components. Uh, lithium, which is one of the key metals that goes into the battery, uh, requires a huge amount of water. For example, half a million gallons uh, of water per metric ton of lithium. And the, the issue is that lithium is mostly produced in Latin America, Chile, and, and, and around that place, where places that don't have much water resources. So that creates a stress for local communities, for farmers, etc. And you can have issues of water contamination too. Uh, mining itself can create some other types of issues, degradation of ecosystems, um, decreasing the quality of ecosystems, implying uh, contamination of uh, underground water resources. So there's sort of other types of environmental issues that we need to be careful with when we talk about batteries. But ultimately, it's possible to sort of, you know, limit and mitigate the issues associated with battery production. And for what you're saying, it, that definitely makes me feel like when I talk about feeling in over my head, what are the other side effects of, of buying the electric car? And I had no idea about how much water it took and, and where that source was coming from. But do, you, but do you see, even if that's the case, electric cars being better for the environment overall? than a combustion engine vehicle? Yeah, I think you said it right. Electric cars, in my opinion, are better for the environment than conventional vehicles. But it doesn't mean that they are good for the environment. It doesn't mean that they are the best solution and transportation solution for the environment. So that's one key point that I think is not sufficiently shared or not sufficiently talked about is that we are coming from a place where transportation is one of the most polluting um, activities that we are doing as humans. Transportation accounts for a huge share of the global greenhouse gas emissions, which results in you know, millions of deaths per year uh, across the world because of you know, respiratory diseases and even short-term acute and long-term effects. So transportation is one of these activities that is so polluting that we need to do something about it. And electric vehicles are part of the solution because as I mentioned, electric vehicles have the potential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and have the potential to reduce it drastically if we respect, as we said before, as we talked about, some key requirements regarding how we produce them, how we manufacture them, and more importantly, how we produce the electricity. But all the types of huge environmental benefits because electric vehicles have no exhaust emissions the potential for improving air quality in urban centers 
is huge. And the, the, the impact on the health systems, and even, I mean, it's even, you know, sad to say, I know that it's, I, I pretty much hate those kinds of metrics, but from an economic perspective, the savings associated with reduced death and reduced health effects of air pollution is also a huge economic incentive for electric vehicles. So yes, they're part of the solution. But now the question that I really want to ask, which I have some ideas of answer is, are electric vehicles the best solution to reduce the impact of transportation? And I don't think they are the best solution because in my sense, the best solution is a mix of pathways, behavior changes, policies, and technology. And so we can talk a little bit more about that. But I think to answer your question, they are better than conventional vehicles, but it doesn't mean that they're good for the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's explore that, what you were talking about. So let's talk more about the other solutions. Yeah, sure. So from a sustainable transport perspective, we know that we can aggregate the solutions in sort of three big buckets. And the three big buckets are called avoid, shift, and improve. So what does that mean? It means that different solutions to reduce the environmental footprint of transport, you can either try to first avoid the need for travel. It may sound counterintuitive because we are in this culture of, you know, always more, consuming more, traveling more, etc. But if we think about it, of course, the more we travel and the more energy will be associated with traveling, the more environmental impacts will be associated with traveling. And, and there are some key solutions that are not easy to implement, but that are definitely feasible to impact our total travel need. And this is really related to how we build our cities, uh, because we have a huge urbanization rate in North America and many European countries, and we have an increased urbanization rate in big countries such as China or India. So what does that mean? It means that people are living closer to each other. But sometimes it doesn't mean that people will sort of reduce their travel need because from one side of the city, they need to go work on the other side of the city. Or you may need to you know, take your car to do uh, your groceries um, or take your car to go to have a dental appointment, etc. And this is really because we've built our cities in North America and Europe around this idea that you know, the car is the way that's going to move us. And so this is a car-centric perspective in building cities. We tend to sort of not have neighborhoods that have what we call mixed-use neighborhoods that have multiple centers, you know, multiple uh, residential areas and working as their areas and groceries, et cetera. So that's one key asset, you know, working on how can we improve density and urban design? How can we improve biking and walking infrastructure, which, you know, will definitely uh, reduce the, the motorized travel needs. The second aspect is what we call shift. Uh, and, and the idea is pretty much once we know that people need to travel from one place to another, now the second question they, they should ask themselves are what are the modes of transport they could use? And so we tend to rely on private vehicles, and that's where electric vehicles make a big difference. But we can talk about buses, and we can talk about trains and subways. And that's, you know, it's very much a matter of do we have the infrastructure or are they investment to deploy these different uh, networks? Because the bus ultimately is just a better system to move people. I mean, you move, you know, 10, 15, 20 people at once uh, with one vehicle. So the energy per trip and per passenger is way lower than any private vehicle. And ultimately, if we electrify buses, then we even have better benefits from electrification. Because you'll have a system that is by principle energy efficient, and then you electrify it, which doubles the energy efficiency in the sense that 
an electric vehicle is a more energy efficient technology than a conventional vehicle. And so the, that, that's the last component. It's called the input component. And once we have set and once we are able to sort of influence the mode choices, then you can look at the technology. And that's where electric vehicles play a huge role because they're more energy efficient, because they can rely on an energy vector that, is, that doesn't have to be carbonized. And that this input component is pretty much where I feel we are focusing on energy or focusing on discussion. You know, at the, the 26th conference of party in Glasgow, there was a transport day. And at the end of the transport day, they did a declaration for zero emission uh, deployment. They created a zero emission. I mean, they didn't create that, that year, but I think a couple of years ago, and they had a, a meeting uh, of the zero emission council meeting, et cetera. So uh, we can really see that there is a huge focus on deploying it through vehicle. But why don't they have, you know, a declaration of public transit investment, uh, you know, uh, funds, I mean, improving the funds for public transit or uh, a declaration on, on making our cities safer for bikes and walking. Pretty much it's not very economically interesting for them and it's not part of the key solution and focus they have. Yeah, and that's I think that's what it was my hunch that it's not just about everyone going out and buying an electric car, and and I understand also that it's not as sexy to put more infrastructure into buses and and walking than it is to have a Tesla running around. Even from an infrastructure perspective, right, deploying all of these electric cars requires bold investment and bold commitment for municipal, federal, provincial governments, for pretty much everybody involved. That's why ultimately, what is interesting is that. You know, they're making the choices of going toward a solution that is still intense in terms of what needs to be done because we can just not deploy electric vehicles with the current system. I feel that there is a lack of discussion in terms of where, where should this investment go. So I don't know if you would like to talk about kind of the you know, key barriers to deploying electric cars. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So you talk about the investment side of things, but what are some other barriers to deploying electric cars? So currently, as of 2021, what are, the, what are the reasons that prevent people from buying electric cars? And usually we tend to, you know, we tend to find three reasons when we survey people. The first key reason is the lack of charging infrastructure. Because electric cars are slightly different than conventional cars, right? When you have a conventional internal combustion engine car, what do you do? You go to the refueling station every, you know, once a week, every, every other week or once a month, I mean, depending on how you use it. You, you put your gas into your tank and then you go, go back home or you, you know, finish your trip. So this is not a very complex problem and we're used to it. Electric cars are different because of course you need to charge them with electricity. So the charging infrastructure is different. Charging is slower process, but that's one, one good thing about it is you can actually charge at home because all the electric cars in the market now, you can plug them to a normal plug. The issue is it's slow. But very rarely you come at home with a battery that is completely depleted and you need to charge it from zero to 100%. And so it pretty much means that if you charge your vehicle uh, when you arrive at home, and then the next morning your vehicle will be, you know, worst case will be half charged and best case will be completely charged. So the behavior is quite different. But I think one aspect of the charging infrastructure which creates a lot of anxiety is when we do longer trips. Because electric cars have shorter driving ranges than conventional cars. So right now, if you talk about sort of the entry-level uh, types of cars, you have between 200 and 300 kilometers of range. And the longer-range vehicles have about five to 600 kilometers. So a conventional vehicle, usually you have 
seven to eight hundred kilometers or maybe above one thousand kilometers. So this is a changing behaviors in the sense that if you have a short range electric vehicle and you like to go on a trip, you know, you're leaving Toronto and you want to go to Montreal or you leave in Alberta and you want to go to Vancouver, which is very long ride, then you know you'll not be able to do that in one trip. I mean, you'll not be able to do that without stopping. And so you can see here the limitation, right? And that creates what we call the range anxiety, which is sort of the second key reason why people don't buy an electric vehicle. Is that they're convinced that if they buy an electric vehicle with a lower driving range and with a lack of charging infrastructure, they will not be able to travel the same way they were traveling before. It's true that now if you want to plan longer trips, you need to plan ahead and exactly see where you're going to stop. And of course, the last and most important aspect, I mean, one of the most important aspects, is that currently capital costs for BVs are, are higher. And so purchasing an electric vehicle is, is, a, is a huge commitment. Uh, in Canada, if you buy a new conventional vehicle, cheapest vehicle you can buy, you can buy are about you know, between twenty and $25,000. Uh, the cheapest electric vehicles you can buy in Canada are around between thirty-five dollars and $45,000. You can see there is a huge difference in cost. There is about you know, 15 to 20K uh, difference. So those are the key barriers to deploying electric vehicles and the reason why we don't buy them now. One thing I wanted to touch on also is winter, because in Canada, winter is a reality. So how do electric cars do in winter? So in winters, you have an increased conception from driving the electric cars. And I think there are two key reasons for this. The first one is that the battery chemistry is you know, it's a complex piece of technology that requires sort of an ideal temperature to perform correctly. Even the efficiency of the battery itself is affected with the temperature. Roughly, when you look at different studies, what they found is that if you drive an electric vehicle at about minus 20 degrees Celsius, you consume about roughly 35, 40% more energy compared to driving this electric vehicle at sort of 23 degrees Celsius. So, you know, a third more energy consumed. What does that mean? It actually means that you have about a, a third of ranges that you lose. Right. If you consume more energy, then you actually have a lower driving range. So that's a huge impact. And if you actually drive on the highway at a high speed with a very low temperature and you have the heating seats and the heating wheels, etc., you actually can go up to consuming roughly 50% more energy or potentially more. So the key issue of electric vehicles is that during winter, they will use more electricity. They will not be less safe, uh, they will not be, you know, they will not affect the, the, the battery in itself, but it will actually just mean that you'll have a lower driving range, which can create an even higher feeling of range anxiety. And so manufacturers now have been working on this for a long time, have uh, been trying to improve the thermal management systems, and I think looking ahead, we can expect some improvements in that regard. Yeah, because it's one thing to get stuck on the highway in a sunny day in August, but then a different thing if it's minus 30 in February, but... That's good to know that they're, they're still able to function in the winter, just the range is reduced. So we've talked about electric vehicles quite a bit. A lot of manufacturers say that they're not going to be producing combustion engines after a certain date. Along those lines, are hybrid cars an effective way to reduce our environmental impact, or should we be focusing just on electric cars? I feel this is the million-dollar question. I will even say the billion-dollar question. And I think questions that lots of manufacturers are asking, and, and some of them are making some bold commitments, and some of them are keeping um, the question open. 
So the point is, on the short term, we will not be able to deploy you know, millions of electric vehicles at once because, as we mentioned before, there is just a lack of basic infrastructure. And also just, you know, the electric vehicles are not accessible. We haven't reached the critical mass that makes them great from an economic perspective. Right now, it's more expensive to buy an electric vehicle, even though you may save some costs down the line because operating an electric vehicle is cheaper. Um, but the overall total cost of ownership is still slightly more expensive for an electric vehicle. Hybrid vehicles are slightly different. Because they are more fuel efficient, um, they are cost effective, actually, for most of them. So from an economic perspective, hybrid vehicles have reached a place where it actually become a smart investment choice. But from an environmental perspective, electric cars still have lower environmental footprints. So that's where the complexity lies. It, of course, if you're in Alberta right now, and it, if you assume that the electricity will not change in the next decade, then hybrid actually makes more sense in Alberta than in other places. But in many other places in, in Canada, uh, electric cars make way more sense than hybrid vehicles. So there is this question, right? Nobody really knows. The manufacturers, there are some key manufacturers that have just said, we're going to deploy electric vehicles and we're going to only sell electric vehicles at a certain time. And so, you know, to me, it's pretty clear to them that they will not commit in producing a lot of hybrid technologies after a given time. But I think there's actually some other manufacturers that are, that are keeping this question open and are saying, Hybrid technologies are, at worst, a transition technology. So maybe for the next decade, it actually makes more sense for them to focus on hybrid technologies because the cost is now lower, uh, because the benefits are here, and the charging infrastructure, the other aspects are not really an issue. And so who will really decide? will be a mix of us, you know, the, the drivers, people who make the choice. But ultimately, it's also driven by cost. And so... The second aspect are the governments and, and the people that you know set the subsidies. In Ontario, for example, there was a subsidy to buy electric vehicles, and then the new government scrapped the subsidy. I mean, it was a couple of years ago. And when they scrapped the subsidy, then you had you had a huge drop in vehicle sales. Um, so ultimately, you see how governments can influence the choices if you know they decide to have a ten thousand dollars subsidy for the cheapest electric cars. So I'm not even talking about subsidizing you know, the most expensive electric cars for the millionaires. I'm actually talking about subsidizing the cheapest electric cars for the people who can potentially afford them if they are 10K cheaper. And for the people who will buy, for example, their first vehicle, then, you know, that will that will could potentially be the, 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 the element that will just have, that will just pressure electric vehicles for being deployed, help them reach a critical mass, help them decrease their production costs because the more you produce a certain technology, the cheaper it is to produce them, push the deployment of charging infrastructure, and maybe in about five years, you're going to only see electric vehicles being sold. I mean, not five years, but you see my point. Nobody really knows what will happen because there is sort of a set of things that need to happen to make electric vehicles fully deployed or to have sort of a transition technology while we're waiting for electric vehicles to be here. And my last point that I would like to make is part of my research, we sort of asked the question of what is the deployment level that we need to reach for this alternative technology to meet our climate goals? And what we found is we actually need to deploy 
electric vehicles, if we don't change, you know, the way we build our transportation systems, so meaning that if most of us keep on relying on private vehicles, what we found was that we actually need to deploy electric vehicles by 2035. So it means that by 2035, having 100% of sales being electric vehicles. And if that's the case, then I don't think we can actually afford having a transitional technology. I don't think we can afford having hybrid vehicles you know, being the key dominant technology for the next 10 years. Because in order to reach 100% sales of electric vehicles by 2035, it means that we need to reach a critical mass in the next couple of years. So it's also, it comes back to the question of, do we only want to bet on private vehicle technologies, or do we also want to bet on other solutions that work, as I mentioned before, uh, helps reshaping our cities, deploying, banking, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to reduce our dependence on private vehicles. Because if we reduce our dependence on electric vehicles, we actually don't need as fast deployment of electric vehicles, right? Because we will have lower tensions, lower stresses, lower environmental footprint from the transportation systems themselves. So you see so many components in complex species to answer such a simple question, but, you know, nobody really knows Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's really helpful, Dr. Melovinov, because that makes sense to me that it's not the silver bullet is the electric car. It's it's part of uh, overall solution that includes other sustainable transportation, active transportation. So that's great because if someone really, really needs to drive for, for their work or their lifestyle, they can get an electric car. But if they're in town, they can perhaps use public transit. So this sounds like a, a, a great thing. So, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. So thanks so much for your time. and. Uh, Have a great day. Thank you, Michael. It was lovely discussing with you. And have a great day, too. Well, that was my conversation with Dr. Milovanov. I love that we got into so much detail about electric cars, from range anxiety to using them in winter, batteries, and and where our power comes from. Those are all things I was wondering about, and I'm so glad that we could talk about them. I think my takeaway was, yes, electric cars are part of a more environmentally friendly future. But as we've learned, it's, it's not the only part. So if you can use other forms of sustainable transportation, use those. If you need to use a car, an electric car sounds like a great choice. Well, that's all for me. I'm Michael Bartz. Here's to feeling a little less in over our head when it comes to saving the planet. We'll see you again soon. In Over My Head was produced and hosted by Michael Bartz. Original theme song by Gabriel Thane. If you would like to get in touch with us, please email info at inovermyheadpodcast.com. Special thanks to Tell a Story Hive for making this show possible. I'm trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me?